Welcome, everyone, to All About Windows Phone. This is Insight Podcast 155, recording this on Tuesday, the 6th of October 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield on a fairly memorable day in tech news, and with me, I have Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello, everybody. Fortunately, our Tuesday schedule actually worked very well on this occasion. We're recording just after Microsoft has done its big device announcements. And, uh, Steve, we've got lots to talk about, but I thought we'd just start off by kind of giving that broad overview reaction before we get into the details we never really touch on them but there's been a number of these big announcements apple did its iphone announcement google has done its nexus announcements all within the last kind of three or four weeks and i actually think it's interesting microsoft really seems to have hit a home run here i mean in one sense the mobile part of the story particularly if we talk about market share is, is still weak so i think you kind of leaving that aside i think microsoft could potentially be declared the winner of having the most interesting event so some of the things it talked about and it was went beyond uh phones and windows phone or android and ios respectively and i think that's kind of really interesting and it was a very different style to the uh nokia events of old when other previous lumia devices have been announced i think that's perhaps not so much to my liking but maybe get your reaction first on the kind of the big picture thing well, I was really impressed by the style. I, mean, I, I know you and I possibly have different preferences here, but uh, this was a much more informal presenting style. At least two or three of the presenters were almost as if they were doing stand-up comedy. And, um, and, and uh, I, maybe stand-up's going too far, but they certainly seem much more c- comfortable with the, the auditorium. They certainly weren't reading from scripted lines all the time. They had learnt. They knew what they wanted to say. They had learnt the core parts. They knew they weren't going to forget anything. And they'd live with... with Quite quite a lot of calm in places and frenzy in others. And it, it didn't seem as stilted. Some of the Apple keynotes and events I've seen, it's very evident that everyone's reading every single word off, off these teleprompters in front of them. And the Microsoft event did seem very, very fluid in that regard. Yeah, I, I certainly think of that style of presentation, it came across uh, incredibly well and it, you know, it seemed to be quite genuine. I, I mean, I think we know that they're all stage managed and very carefully rehearsed. Um, <laughs> But also, I think the the actual content when you get into that, Microsoft demonstrated a much broader vision, something we've talked about a bit in the podcast. I mean, there is the sort of perception and there's the market reality. And I don't think uh, we should forget that. But in talking about, you know, HoloLens, for example, to open things up, you know, kind of demonstrating the breadth of where Microsoft is going, but then obviously talking about band for wearables and then uh, the Lumia for phones and then Surface for the kind of uh, laptop and tablet devices. It was kind of interesting to compare and contrast that with the iPhone announcement. And don't get me wrong, I think iPhone and Nexus you know, are bigger deals in terms of devices in in many ways, and certainly iOS nine and Android six. Uh, but then you know you might compare Pixel C and you know the iPad Pro. Maybe we'll touch on that at the end of the podcast because maybe we want to talk about the phones. But that kind of big picture thing is interesting to me. But I will say I find all of those presentation styles slightly jarring because I know how much they're rehearsed and I know how much thought goes into kind of trying to connect with the audience. And to me, I'm almost more interested in having people, you know, talk about it in a professional manner, getting the information across. And um, I think Nokia got a lot better doing doing that. You know, it used to be always very stilted and boring. Uh, they got better at that, um, but it didn't have quite the same, I don't know, there was just an exit and maybe i'm kind of reminiscing too much about the old days (laughs) 
nonetheless, I think they did a really good job in communicating what was interesting about the devices. It just felt a little bit disjointed in places. I mean, an example of that for me was, you know, you open up starting to talk about the Lumia devices. And the first thing you mentioned is antennas. Why is anyone really interested in that? Yeah, it's a bit of geek talk, but it felt like they were almost being a bit false in talking about that. And certainly other details that you could have talked about, you know, were potentially more interesting. And there's a time and a place for that, but also just the way you talk about positioning the devices, that's something I don't think they did so well, perhaps because there's actually less solidity around that now. I mean, that's what, you know, the beat of the kind of presentations always be. This is how we're positioning the device. Here's some of the key experiences. Here's some of the key technology, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we probably shouldn't dwell on that. We should actually get into the details because at the end of the day, we've been waiting for these new flagship Lumia devices for what feels like a very, very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 110 million Windows 10 installations. They did emphasize that figure. And I just wanted to put the Lumia devices into context. This was very much a Microsoft devices event and seeing the phones as part of that larger picture. They couldn't have started out by saying, we've sold 70 million Windows phones in the last four years. (laughs) Um, And that wouldn't have been a very impressive figure. So uh, um, even though 70 million is a lot, but to be part of 110 million people have upgraded to Windows 10 on various forms and platforms over the last two months, that's actually quite an impressive figure. And it does show a bit of enthusiasm in the marketplace. So I think just to put the the, the Lumia 950 and 950 XL in that context, and especially because they concentrated very much on the way that these two devices hook into, for example, Continuum and the, the keyboards, mice, monitors, and so forth, and then c- kind of then mirrored that with the the Microsoft Display Dock for the for the the, the tablets as well, and, the, and their laptops there. So everything did seem to have a kind of theme there that everything co- hooked into everything else, and this is in parallel with the way all the Microsoft services are all hooking into all these devices through the cloud. So I, I did feel it was actually quite was quite joined up. I didn't find it was that disjointed, apart from that one moment you singled out where he rabbited on about antennae for about a minute for no apparent reason. <laughs> and it's probably, yeah, I think you're right saying there definitely is that Windows 10 theme running through it. And we've talked in the past about kind of the dubious connection sometimes between uh, mobile and I kind of mean, I guess, smartphones and tablets and desktop. But Windows 10 really does feel like it's delivering on that. I mean, there is still kind of a bit of a jury thing is out on that. Um, but certainly the promise of universal apps and continuum felt a lot more real today than it ever has been before. And that benefit of kind of Windows everywhere, which Microsoft has talked about in the past, and it's kind of not the theme so much now, but certainly Windows 10 is a big theme. It actually feels like it's something that's genuine, has real credibility to it. Um, I will say I thought it was quite telling that in a way the Lumia devices were almost the undercard to the main event, which seemed to be more around the Surface devices. And I think that reflects just how far Windows Phone and Lumia has fallen in some respects. Um, you know, that's the tale of the decline of Nokia and then the takeover by Microsoft and kind of continuing on from there. Nonetheless, it's the thing we're interested in, so we're going to spend more time talking about that. I just think all the time we have to kind of bear in mind that Microsoft has a long, long way to go in the smartphone space. It doesn't make it any less interesting for us to talk about, and we're really interested in that, and that's what we talk about passionately on this podcast. I think we just always have to keep sight of the realistic market uh, position. It's kind of good to get that out up front, then we can talk about some of the detail. Um, uh, and to me, you know, that is symptomatic of a wider problem for Microsoft in that, you know, it's transitioning or it, it is that company that's been so heavily desktop based and the, kind of the software on Windows and Office side of things. And it did miss a march on, on mobile and the whole story around Windows Phone is, is part of that. But it is, you know, for all that emphasis that gets put on that 
mobile is still the big thing. It's still the future. It's still where everyone is going to have that personal device in their pocket. And there's a reason everyone talks about mobile and, you know, we're, we're passionate about it. I'm very passionate about it as a really important thing. And it's just worth remembering that Microsoft still has a, an uphill battle there in, in one sense, but I don't want to be too negative because actually I think there's a load of interesting things to talk about with the new Lumia devices and indeed the new services as well. So perhaps we should get into the new smartphones, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at a, a pale green table that I've been lovingly compiling through the afternoon. And by the time people listen to this, it may well be blue because Rafe doesn't like my color green, but, um, <laughs> but there we go. There is a lot of information in that table, Rafe. So let's, we won't take the entire table in one gulp, but just working from the top, I wanted to just compare the the specs with between the Lumia 950 and the 950 XL, the larger 5.7 inch screened phone, with just some of the devices we've come to know very well in the past, things like the Lumia 913, 1520, and of course things like the 830, just to put them in spec. And the dimensions um, and weights, the, people have commented that the, the weights 150 gram and 165 gram respectively are relatively heavy. In fact, for all the technology that's in that table and the amount of hardware, I actually think that's quite reasonable. And some of the new iPhones, I know you've been playing with the new iPhone phone 6 uh, s and success plus they're actually heavier so i think the, the in terms of dimensions and feel in the hand these will be absolutely fine yeah that's right i mean the iphone 6s actually is 143 grams so slightly lighter but the uh, 6s plus is uh, i believe it's 192 grams so significantly wow. heavier um there's always been this big discussion around weight uh, to me honestly you can look at the numbers but often it's about what it really feels like in the hand and you know guessing the weight can kind of give you a different impression to what it is in, in reality so until we get these in hand it's difficult to say the early feedback on this has actually been uh, uh, pretty positive and it is notable that of course these devices have got a bit heavier but the screens are bigger and so if you compare them to some of the earlier lumia devices like uh, the 900 or the 920 these are significantly lighter in i would say relative terms even if actually the numbers aren't that far off and the same actually applies to the size i mean eight millimeters these are amongst the uh, the thinnest of the windows phone devices we've seen and certainly there's been a great effort made in that and if you know if you look at the design of them relatively thin bezels around the side the top and the bottom is where the aerials and various other bits and pieces are, are still still quite big but um i mean it's interesting i think one of the things that's come out of this is there hasn't been that much change in the way of design it doesn't really stand out as being a really innovative different design but actually they were already pretty strong and you know I still think they've maybe lost some of their distinctiveness, um, but that's a problem for all, all smartphones. And, you know, they're certainly not going to be chucked out saying, oh, no, that's that's not an attractive phone. Um, again, we need to see them kind of in person uh, and actually spend some time with them because I think sometimes the, the first glance can be a bit misleading. Um, but, yeah, so those, those kind of headline physical specifications um, – actually, I don't think there's anything much wrong there, despite some of the early comment we've seen in the comments and on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the form whereby you have the, the whole back and sides of the phone come off, Lumia 640 and 640XL style. I mean, that may not be to, to everybody's taste. It's, it's more practical and stylish, but it does enable a big differentiator. You mentioned differentiators there. The fact that on these two devices, as with the 640 range, the battery, you can replace the batteries. You can take it out, you can swap another one in. And for the business market, and these two phones, as I see it, are very much aimed at professionals and the business sector. Um, they're, they're, 
going to be pretty keen on having a whole stock of replaceable batteries. And when a, one of their staff comes and says, oh, yeah, my 950's battery is shot, my 950XL won't hold a charge anymore, here you are, mate, slot this one in, and they're off and running again, which you certainly can't do that very easily with some of most of the competition. Having a replaceable battery really is a very uh, different factor in 2015. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point, Steve. I, I mean, I know you're a, a fan of, of uh, replaceable batteries, if I can put it that way. I think there's some other advantages to that form factor. Uh, you know, that ability for kind of the back to pop off, it tends to make it uh, a little bit more durable. I would say um, devices, you know, in the mold of the 640XL and some of those other Lumia range, and now the 950, are a bit more durable. So if they do get dropped, they're more likely to survive, or at least um, it, there isn't anything particularly scientific about it. It's just based on the experience with the devices. And of course, it's also, it, it covers up things like the SIM card slot, the micro SD card slot. So you've got less flaps. And so you know, there's less chance for stuff to get in or to get munched up or, you know, things to break or to lose things. And so actually, I think that's an advantage. I think the big question is, is that what you expect from a premium device? And yeah. until we see them and feel the materials, that's a little bit of a difficult one to answer. I don't know about you. I've always felt that the 640 and the particularly the 640XL with its matte finish has actually felt like a pretty premium device, despite being in that kind of mid-tier range. Uh, and I don't think there's actually necessarily anything wrong with Microsoft choosing to take a different approach and standing out from the crowd a little bit. I, I'm sure there will be people who want an all-metal phone and a very sleek finish. Uh but I suspect that's not going to make a big difference to them which phone they end up choosing. I don't think they'd have chosen a Windows phone because of that. Um, and I think there will be plenty of people who might look and go, yeah, that's actually, that's an interesting decision. Um, I actually like that. So I, you know, I think it's very easy to be critical about that. And I think sometimes that can be sort of overdone. Um, and particularly if you think about it, as you said, it's an enterprise device. Some of the advantages that that uh, design choice brings is, you know, you know, very interesting and you're getting some very top end features elsewhere. And I mean, personally, I feel that um, Microsoft and Lumia has kind of made that polycarbonate casing, you know, its own in terms of its signature, in terms of design. Uh, and so there's a lot to be, a lot to be said for that. I, I'm not necessarily sure that kind of whole metallic thing, which, you know, obviously you think about iPhone, you think about the Samsung S6, you know, they are incredibly nice designs, but that doesn't mean Microsoft had to copy that approach. We'll come on to pricing later on. Um, but, you know, I, I think you can see that from both directions. Uh, and personally, given where they are, I actually think I'm perfectly happy with that as a design choice. Yeah, of course. Uh, we've also seen it across various websites this evening as we record this, people showing off uh, third-party um, covers, back covers for the 950 and 950XL. So, of course, the other big advantage, which we won't labour, is the fact that a replaceable back can be replaced itself. You can, you can stick on, in theory, for example, a leather back and have a leather 950 but uh, yeah so options 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 just but we want to cover every single specification in the podcast obviously go and have a look at the news story on the site but uh, there are a few which are of particular interest and i got questions on for mr blandford um, both both processors are 64-bit uh, which is good uh, snapdragon 808 and 810 but they both mentioned liquid cooling now i'm, I'm a bit of a chipset newbie rafe what on, what the heck is liquid cooling in a phone 
Oh, well, we've seen this in some of the other devices. I think the Sony Z5 uh, mentioned this, and I've seen it on the spec sheets for a few other things. Essentially, what this means is there's some kind of cooling element built in, and presumably, well, I, I know it will be a closed system with some kind of uh, liquid moving around that system in order to shift heat from one place to another. And really, it's a reflection of the the power of the process inside them that these you know are now needed. Um, it, it's you know like some PCs needed a fan, and that's you know come and gone over the years. Um, this has sort of arrived on smartphones because the processor got so powerful. They're generating a certain amount of heat, and you know there's actually been a lot of conversation around some of the latest Snapdragon uh, chipsets in terms of that heat generation, and then you know, causing problems in the pocket. Pocket. So that kind of thermal engineering has become much more of an issue in the last few years. And so it just sounds like a cool specification. I guess there's something kind of interesting about it, <laughs> but really it's just a way of keeping the chipset cool. So it keeps running at you know, kind of peak performance. And what these will typically do is, you know, conduct heat away from one area into another. And that's either to where it can sort of then be conducted away or however the thermal engineering works in this instance. We don't know the exact details of this, but um, yes, as I say, it will be a closed system that has liquid in it. That's It's basically a, a different type of um, heat sink or heat movement mechanism. Yeah, so in the past, we'd, ra- we'd sh- shake our Lumias and they'd rattle because of the OIS mechanism. Now we're going to shake our Lumias and they'll go swoosh, swoosh, swoosh as the liquid whooshes yeah, around. The, the amount of liquid involved, as you might imagine, is actually very small indeed. As I say, they're completely sealed systems. And um, I, I'm not sure actually whether they're under pressure. I'd have to look into it in more detail. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 I think it probably sounds more interesting than it actually is. Well, it looked good up on the slides anyway. <laughs> uh, three gig of RAM is very welcome. The one thing I've learned from the last 10 years in smartphones is that you can never have too much RAM for an operating system. And I think three gig should mean these are both very, very future proof. And Windows 10 Mobile seems to use all the RAM it can get. So again, well done there. Um, both AMOLED screens, both QHD, QHD a tiny bit over the top, but we mentioned this in the previous podcast, Rafe, and 1440p doesn't sound like a massive uh, um, step up over 1080p, so let's forgive them there. Gorilla Glass 4 is worth picking out. Um, people have been, I, I, people get very sniffy about Gorilla Glass and phones. They say, oh, it's only got Gorilla Glass 3. That's terrible. That's somebody cheaping out. And they, they, they commend people who go for Gorilla Glass 4. It doesn't really matter. All of these devices with Gorilla Glass are more than able to withstand the, the scratches and the use of day-to-day life. But uh, well done to Microsoft for going with number four here. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. I mean, the differences between two, three, and four are relatively minor in terms of kind of increasing amount of uh, toughness, I guess. And yeah. they're just very small iterative improvements. The original Gorilla Glass was kind of a, a big step up, but since then, obviously, there's a, a limit to what you can do unless you're moving to a, a new material altogether, because actually it's just slight fine tuning to the uh, nano coating that they're putting over the top. Um, the thing I would actually highlight is they're continuing with this uh, clear black display technology which should mean it should be that kind of good standard of visibility in outdoor condition which i think is something the lumia phones have kind of had a bit of a, a signature for and also very glad to see glance screen on both of these devices uh, and i actually think uh, windows phone has one of the best tra- records here i mean it is available on various android devices in various different forms um, but uh, personally it's one of the things i always miss when i move away from some of the lumia devices that do support this I should say that they don't all and they support it to different degrees which can be a bit confusing but i think we can assume that this is going to be a proper glance screen it's going to be kind of the full full version of it with as much information on the screen as you want and to me that's actually one of the one of my favorite things just being able to glance over at my phone either at night or during the day and just see the information at a glance and you know that kind of hands-free usage which we also talk about with uh, Cortana I mean 
another aspect of these devices of course they've got their always on uh, voice chipset so you'll be able to say hey cortana and they'll respond to you without you having to touch anything so those kind of little step ups all uh, significant and add up uh, you know to real extra value for me Okay, just briefly on the camera, because I'll probably come back to the camera, of course, numerous times over the next year. <laughs> um, the, the raw spec of just seeing a 20 megapixel camera makes you think, well, it's just the same camera as in the, um, the, the 930, 15, 20. But in fact, it's so one, uh, 1 over 2.4 inch sensor, so roughly the same there. But an f over 1.9 aperture basically means it lets in almost almost twice as much light for per, per shot. Fifth generation OIS, I mean, it sounds good. It's got to be better than second generation. <laughs> but uh, OIS is OIS. Triple LED flash on both devices. We don't yet know exactly what the color spectrums are, whether it's just three times as bright or whether it's a managed color spectrum. Um, but but overall, I, we, we do know that these cameras are, are much more capable, roughly two to three times as capable, I would say, as the 913, 1520s. And to answer the most common query, yes, these devices are still pure view. They, they don't actually say pure view branding on the specs pages but they're still using oversampling that is confirmed and there will be the option to shoot five megapixel output oversample photographs you don't get the dual capture i believe and you can't do later reframing from the underlying high resolution image it is a question of uh, at capture time in the settings you choose whether you want full res or five megapixel or five megapixel plus high res uh, raw for, raw for processing later on the desktop so slightly more limited options in that regard but overall a big bump up in camera yeah i think that's right i mean obviously we'll dive into these in more detail uh, in due course but it was interesting to see that several elements were called down you already mentioned the ois and you know that's going to be a step forward i mean this i think is the fifth lumia which presumably why it's you know being labeled as fifth generation ios and there's been improvements each time the triple led flash is an interesting one being referred to as red green blue um in the the keynote so presumably this is going to allow for kind of more accurate or sort of more differentiated flash situations so it should uh, prevent kind of ghosting red eye effect those kind of things because um it, it flashes has always been kind of an on or off thing and actually apple was one of the ones that kind of specialized early on having different tones of it and so this is kind of a continuance of that kind of technology but it's good to see um great to see there's still a dedicated camera capture key it's one of the things that always annoys me about some of the other high-end devices that's something i've got used to so it, until we again you know have a chance to try these out and spend a couple of weeks with them um, but i'm pretty confident that this is going to take nokia right back up to the top of the heap in terms of kind of the imaging technology uh, it'll be interesting to see quite how that gets paired with the imaging software what's going to happen there um, but it looks like it's you know they're going to be first class camera phone devices by all indications so far yeah, okay, and I shall look forward to putting them through their tests, as you say. Um, just moving on very briefly, the USB port is interesting. It's now USB 3, uh, which I do understand has extra capabilities in terms of two-way transfers and one device charging another. And it's also over the new Type-C connector, which is a bit of a change, really, from the exist all the existing Windows phones. Um, but put that together with the, the, the quick charge 2.0, the fact that the connector is reversible, and the fact that unlike every other manufacturer on the planet, when they went to all this, they didn't abandon Qi wireless charging. Yes, absolutely, Steve. Um, Type-C kind of reversible stuff, and that's just the, the faster transfer rates, which I guess if you're taking a lot of 4K video off um, via wired connection is going to be a, a good thing. Uh, I would highlight quick charge 2.0 arriving on Windows Phone. 
that means you should be able to charge up your battery in sort of about 45 minutes, even with the kind of the big air capacity. You do need to have a, a fast charge compatible charger for that to work. And like you say, you know, keeping the wireless charging up there is great. So actually, all for flagships, this is arguably one of the most flexible and up to date in terms of the charging and connectivity solutions. So, you know, full marks there in terms of specifications. Yeah, the fact that it is using USB 3.1 rather than just USB 2, because a lot of other competing flagships, for example, the Nexus 5X, um, and also the, I think it's the one, OnePlus 2 in the Android world, they're, they're both using the new Type-C connector, but only using USB 2 protocols, whereas this is ramped up to the max. This is the very latest in USB technology, and I presume they actually need these latest USB 3 protocols in order to be able to do all the fancy stuff with the, the, uh, the, the Continuum dock. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Also, it's kind of the advantage of being part of kind of core windows. One suspects that the some of the drivers and some of the work done there really translates across quite well. But yes, um, we should probably move on and talk about the dock now that you've mentioned it. That obviously, when you're starting to drive HDMI displays through it, as well as multiple USB accessories, you are going to need a kind of a large amount of bandwidth. And obviously, having a USB 3.1 really helps. I mean, it, it, as you said, it's absolutely essential. But yeah, that's probably a good advantage, a uh, good time to talk about Continuum. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at a picture right now in the story. And uh, there's a, this Microsoft Display Dock, as it's called. I think it was Project Munchkin, we referred to it as its code name originally. So basically, you plug in from USB Type-C from the Lumias to new, new Lumias into a USB-C on the dock. And then out of the dock, there's HDMI to a monitor. Um, and also, presumably, um, two USB ports, optionally to keyboard and mouse, but of course you can run Bluetooth keyboard and mouse as well. So you've, you've probably got two or three cables on the go. It's also worth noting that this uh, Microsoft Display Dock, um, which uh, also charges the Lumia at the same time. So when you plug in, you're also topping up the charge in your smartphone, which is a really nice feature. And again, that goes back to the USB 3 protocols and the Type-C specification um all in all the demos of continuum on stage at the event today were pretty darn impressive I and mean, i've seen them before and they'd been somewhat halting and and the transitions and the displays you think well will they get there that's a very small subset of the functionality needed but today they were whizzing around applications switching in and out and everything just popped up immediately so i was pretty impressed yeah, me too. I mean, again, this is one we're going to have to try out ourselves. But you meant to mention the dock there with the USB ports. That means you can plug in things like uh, USB uh, sticks and potentially other accessories as well. So yeah, that would yeah. include printers and things like that as well. The kind of the full level of support we'll, we'll hear about in due course. But that's really handy if you're, you know, transferring documents across from elsewhere. And part of the demo was actually showing how you could pull in files sitting on a USB stick and have them appear in uh, PowerPoint and drop them in as graphics it was a pretty, you know, powerful demo. And like you said, I mean, it really came across Office as the killer app for this uh, continuum. And, and you know, it, it got referred to as kind of full Windows. I think that's a slight misnomer. What it really is, is kind of the universal apps operating at their kind of different scale. And it's not just about scaling up. They actually kind of reformat themselves. And so you kind of have the advantage of these full-touch versions of Word and Excel. And these are actually available um, on kind of full Windows 10 as well on the desktop. Uh, and they're kind of touch-optimized versions of the Office apps. They don't actually have all the functionality of the full Office suite, but they are pretty uh, comprehensive and certainly, you know, very capable. And that ability to do that kind of thing, I think becomes really interesting i mean how much that gets used in practice I, I i really don't know i mean i've got access you know to a pc and to to a laptop so would i really sit there and do that 
possibly but you know once you <laughs> then become a road warrior could you leave behind um your laptop yeah ab- absolutely you could um I just don't know yet. I mean, w- would I have uh, this doc? Yeah, sure. I'm going to get hold of one and, and, and try it out. Um, but of course, part of the thing about Windows 10 and, you know, Windows 10 mobile is everything's cloud connected. And so actually using Office 16, which is what it is on multiple devices is already very easy. And so I would have an expectation that, um, I can do it on my device and then pick it up and carry on on another device. So I think this is more interesting for people who maybe don't have access to a Windows PC or as I say, are on the road and haven't taken a laptop with them. And that, that starts to get interesting. It, it's just difficult to know how widespread this will become. And obviously, you know, the Windows, the Microsoft apps support this very well. And we'll just have to wait and see how the third-party app situation develops there. I mean, one of the things that was mentioned in the keynote, for example, was that Facebook is going to make uh, Messenger, Facebook, and Instagram all available as new universal apps, which presumably would have this kind of continuum mode. So that starts to become interesting. You don't need to get all that many for it to be, you know, quite capable as a, a device. And it's sort of, you go, does this sort of become something equivalent to Chrome OS in terms of its capabilities and its power? And you, you know, there were lots of interesting demos. I think this is one we're going to end up talking about a lot in the future because it's one of those kind of new category defining things that we haven't seen much of before. And so it's hard to really assess. But there were some nice extra things that we learned about this time. For example, Outlook was running on this kind of the full big screen. But then when it was opened on the phone, it popped off the big screen and onto the phone and, you know, changing the kind of the format, obviously, it was displayed in. And I found that interesting that they've started to think about how it works across multiple screens, kind of acknowledging that you might pick up the phone even when it's docked to something, you know, because it's just easier to do it that way. And the way that, you know, you could be running one thing on the phone and see something different on the big screen device so effectively you do have two devices and that starts to get interesting as well because obviously you have a phone call coming or something you want to check quickly but you might still want to be referring to a document and uh, for anyone who's done that kind of thing on the road that's actually quite difficult when you're kind of trying to look at your phone and have use it for a phone call and then also look at a powerpoint presentation so that kind of thing starts to become more interesting to me they've obviously thought about some of the experiences there um I want to try this out. Um, and sort of the big question for me is how useful is this for people who already have multiple devices? Or is this something that really is about, you know, using one device for everything or when you're on the road? Um, because obviously yeah. the, the, the dock itself has a cost associated with it and you then need to get a keyboard and a mouse to go with it. <laughs> uh, and so it's not yeah, quite yeah. as simple and easy as uh, Microsoft might, might have you believe. But nonetheless, Microsoft said right at the beginning of this uh, event that they wanted to do things that were kind of category defining. And I absolutely believe that, you know, this kind of thing will become more common with your phone. It kind of makes sense to enable it to break out of the limitations of the screen in particular of, you know, smartphones, but also the input as well when you talk about the keyboard and the mouse. And there's no doubt for, you know, when you're doing productivity stuff, it's easier to you know sometimes do things with a mouse and a keyboard than it would be to try and edit a PowerPoint document on your smartphone. So it's got so much potential but as with a lot of uh, kind of things that are introduced or a category defining for the first time i'm sure there will be plenty of room for refinements and i'm yet to fully kind of appreciate and understand how and where they'll be used by you know consumers 
Yeah, regular readers of the site may notice I did a feature on Continuum and looking at possible use cases. And uh, I was slightly skeptical, but I think you're absolutely right. There, there is a, a change in category definition here, if you like. There is a, this is genuine innovation. We just haven't found out who's going to use it yet. Uh, the most common use case people might think of, the obvious one is, you know, the road warrior one wandering into a hotel room with just his Lumia smartphone and a, a dock and a couple of cables and hooking up to the hotel. Um, big, big screen monitor. I just don't see that happening. I, I, every road warrior worth his salt has a laptop of, or similar or surfaces already. They do not need this necessarily. But I think you're absolutely right. There are people out there in the world, in countries in the world, in demographics that we haven't actually thought of yet who will absolutely latch onto this. And this could well be something that completely redefines the way they even think about computing in, in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's kind of interesting. You mentioned that you could have the keyboard and the mouse be wireless. Where it kind of gets interesting for me, actually, for kind of Western consumers, especially with multiple devices, is you could have this plugged into the back of your big screen TV and you can have a keyboard and mouse that completely wireless and maybe sit on your lap or on a kind of a desk or you know, coffee table in front of you to then just bring up stuff quickly on your phone and be able to read stuff on that bigger screen or to show off images or a PowerPoint presentation. And that can work both in the home and potentially in the office environment as well. Um, one of the things that isn't actually immediately be clear from this is um, quite how essential both the mouse and the keyboard are. I mean, for example, can you run everything just by having a, a mouse? Because actually a keyboard is kind of a big thing to have to carry with you. But, you know, if you can kind of run a presentation off a bigger screen from your phone using, say, just the, the phone the the dock and the mouse that kind of gets interesting for salespeople being out in other people's offices where you know, obviously there will often be a projector or a keyboard or a, a, a big tv screen available so there's kind of plenty of nuances around this and i think when you do think about this kind of new area often the thing that becomes kind of the mainstream everyone goes yeah of course that's going to be what we're using for isn't what you thought of in the first place and i think it's as you say it's very easy to fall into the trap of saying oh continuous for road road wires and i think you're right to say and be a little bit skeptical about that um yeah and i think it's great to actually see this kind of thing that's a little bit different um and it's you know the, the perfect advert for universal apps and um i'm really intrigued to see both in my own life but also more generally um whether this becomes a big thing and if it is i'm i'm sure android and uh ios will follow suit in due course <laughs> if they're able to yeah Indeed. windows windows 10 really does have a big lead here if this becomes a thing then windows 10 is in front and one final thing i just want to pull out from the specs table before we move on um the infrared iris scanner referred to by microsoft as hello beta now is this just get this right right this is this is an infrared beam coming out of the back of the phone literally scanning your iris and looking at the scattered reflection back um it's actually on the front of the phone uh sorry on the front yeah uh, but yes uh it, it's not entirely clear quite how this is working i believe it's a combination of that and also the front facing camera and basically it's biometric recognition it's the equivalent of the fingerprint sensor that you get on other phones so it's able to uniquely identify units referred to as windows hello because actually what it does is you can look at the phone and it will unlock and say your name or show your name on the screen uh, and it's a way of qu quickly unlocking the phone and certainly in the the demo it seemed to happen very quickly indeed um, and as I say, this is kind of the equivalent of Touch ID or kind of Nexus imprint on you know, some of the competing devices. You know, obviously at the moment it's being used to unlock the phone. Potentially in the future that might be available to third-party apps. Microsoft has certainly talked about that being on the roadmap and uh, no doubt in the future kind of uh, payments as well and things like that. 
Um, it's interesting that it got referred to as beta. That makes me suspect it's not quite finalized. So we'll, <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to see how, how this actually turns out. Um, I mean, from a purely from a personal point of view, having used, you know, touch ID and other technologies, if they can get this right, so I can just pick up the phone and it kind of unlocks before I have to think about anything, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, and we'll look into a little bit more detail about how that technology works and describe some of it. So, uh, give you the full lowdown in due course. Yeah, yeah. And as for shooting out the back of the phone, I've got I've been reading up about too many phones with laser focusing for their cameras, <laughs> and I have the back of the phone on my brain. Anyway, uh, moving very briefly, and I want to just want to touch on the price of the devices and the pitching. Um, we so far we have resellers like Mobile Fun have the Lumia 950 at 450 pounds SIM free, including VAT, and the 950 XL at 550, including VAT, which seem on the high side to me. But with, we kind of expected this. I wanted it to be lower. You felt it should be a bit higher than I thought. But even you, these are more than you'd guessed but I, I did put the caveat in the story that in actual fact most of the target market for these two devices will come from the business and professional sector and almost every single person buying them will be getting it on contract so the, the price sim free really is a kind of artificial for the likes of you or i trying to snap one up most real life users will actually get these on you know 35 40 pound a month and a lot of that will be down to the airtime and whatever package they're on uh, can I accuse you of being a slight cop out there, Steve? I mean, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're right. The, the pricing is always, you know, it's a bit disingenuous to talk about it when so many people do end up as either work devices or on contract. But there are plenty of markets where you do have to pay full price for the device. And actually, kind of the US and the UK are, are kind of exceptional in those terms and that the true cost of the price is somewhat hidden from uh, the consumers. Um, you know, those are the UK pricing. Um, it's probably worth pointing out that uh, the kind of the official prices from Microsoft are 549 for the 950 and 649 for the 950 XL. Um, I think th the thing that's kind of significant for me here is if you look at the iPhone, and this would apply to actually the kind of some of the um, competing Android devices as well, they're about $100 cheaper if you're just looking kind of direct comparison. But actually, these do have 32 gigabytes of memory. So in terms of the iPhone, they're actually $200 cheaper, um, both for the the little and the big version, if I can call them that, that's actually very similar to what uh, the Windows flagship pricing has been before. So it's not really a surprise. You know, the flagship pricing is what it's always been. Um, yeah. and, and they are going to undercut the competition just a little bit. I would suggest it will, on the high street, it will be about $100, maybe £75. So we're looking at, as the, you know, mobile fund prices suggest, 450 ish for the, the 950 and maybe a bit more for the 950 XL. To me, that's actually pretty competitive, especially when I know that Lumia device prices typically come down pretty rapidly. And so if you suddenly go, okay, look towards the Christmas market, does that become 400 and 450 or, you know, 400 and 500? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. After Christmas, does that come down again? Does that maybe get to 350 and 450? That starts to get really interesting, especially given it will still be up against devices um, that you know are significantly more expensive than that. Would it have been better if they, you know, done them at cost price or maybe even kind of subsidised them a bit from Microsoft point of view? Sure, but um, I don't think that's you know, the way Microsoft thinks about things, and it's kind of disingenuous to say it's better if they're cheaper. I actually think you know they're roughly in line with my expectations, maybe a little bit more expensive. 
I do think it, it is going to come back to this design thing. And some people go, go, they, they look like mid devices. They're not that interesting. Therefore, I'm not really willing to pay the high end pricing for them. Other people are going to go, oh, actually, these are like fantastic devices. They got all that top end technology. You know, it's one of the best camera phones. It's got this biometric recognition, Windows Hello. Know, it's got a really nice screen that's you know uh, QHD. Oh, there's lots of things to really like about this device. Lots of built-in memory as well. Oh, and look, it's got a removable battery. And, mm, okay, yeah, actually, that feels like a really competitive price. So I think it entirely depends on your perspective. And so for me, this about in line with expectations. And you know, um, I think for me personally, I might wait a little bit for the price to to go down before I bought it. <laughs> Um, just because I know that that's going to happen, I can afford to be patient for a month or two. Um, but overall, actually, you know, again, it, it feels like they're a little bit cheaper than the competing flagship devices, and that can only be to its advantage. Is it a big enough difference to really make a, a big thing for most people? Um, yeah, because the other way to look at this, of course, is that the Android flagships from early in the year have already benefited from the price drops. And so things like the HTC M9, to a lesser extent, the Samsung S6 and the certainly the S6 Edge, um, but maybe some of the LG G4. I mean, that's coming in certainly at the £400 price mark now. I mean, you'll shop around, you'll find it a bit better. But again, you know, that's a bit unfair because you can't really compare a device that has just launched with one that's sort of six to nine months old, even though actually the technology is, is pretty similar. Um, to me, those spec comparisons get a bit meaningless because, of course, if you look at that, that's going to be the only thing you ever see. Um, I think these are going to be, you know, they're right at the top end in terms of specs. And Windows Phone has always had this advantage um, over certainly Android and to a certain extent iOS as well, in that although it hasn't had necessarily the cutting edge on the hardware front, and, it, and this, again, kind of applies because we've seen the processors and the stuff that's in these devices in devices earlier in the year, um, but Windows Phone runs very efficiently. And so I think these will measure up very well against next year's kind of flagship devices, um, you know, and they're, they're going to have a run of four or five months before those even come out. And so to me, it feels, you know, they, they feel like the pricing's about right. And if not, go and pick up a, a Lumia 550, which was the other thing that was announced. And that's uh, $139. Um, be interesting to see whether they do any bundles on some of the, um, you know, kind of the dock and things like that, because that's obviously going to bump up pricing as well. Um, it, it does get quite expensive if you start going, well, actually, I'd like a Lumia 950XL. I, I want the dock with that, which would probably be, I would have thought, at least $100. And then I want the new uh, Microsoft band. That's another, you know, $199. So, you know, it, it, it um, I'm sorry, $299. It all, that kind of adds up. Um, but to me, yeah, it, it feels about right and actually pretty competitively priced when I, when I think about it kind of in the broader context. Yeah. You, you attempted a slinky link there into the next I news did. story, did. which Not then you kind well. of ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> the Lumia 550 was also announced, but it was kind of a throwaway announcement. They literally spent about 10 seconds on it. Obviously, they had masses to announce this. So we'll just we'll touch on that in the last, the one more thing at the end of this podcast. But uh, very, very briefly, I'm sure we'll come back to the 550 maybe and discuss the budget end of the market in the next podcast. Um, a 4.7-inch 720p screen, Snapdragon 210 chipset, gig of RAM, 8 gig internal storage, 5 megapixel camera, 1905 milliampere replaceable battery. No surprises whatsoever. It's a, it's a bog-standard, solid-budget Lumia. People know what to expect, and it will run pretty well. People have seen my benchmarking articles looking at how the existing hardware upgraded to the Windows 10 Mobile Insiders program runs. So uh, I don't expect that to have any problems at all. As you say, $139 in the States, £129 over here in the UK. That's mobile fun trying to get a few quid off us, I think. I think that'll very quickly come down to £99 on, on pay-as-you-go, certainly over here. 
Um, yeah, so we'll cover that in the next podcast, right? But the 550 and 30 seconds from you? Uh, interesting device. I actually think this is the one that's overpriced, if any of them are. I mean, this is the Windows 10 ready or out-of-the-box uh, budget Lumia device. And if you look at the pricing of some of the other kind of 500 series that are already out there, this does feel like it's been introduced to slightly higher cost. I mean, if they could have got it nearer to $100, I think that would have would have been a little bit better. I think most people are going to kind of ignore that. And I suspect, you know, Microsoft is less concerned about kind of the price sensitivity at the low end of the market, given the strategy it announced recently. Um, but it's going to do, do the job very well, and it's going to be kind of the showcase for uh, Windows 10 Mobile on those low-cost handsets. And at the end of the day, I think it's still going to be one of the best low-end uh, smartphones that you can buy because uh, Windows Phone has fantastic pedigree there, um, not just in the sort of the way it runs on that kind of lower-end hardware, but also in terms of the ease of use uh, for people who are kind of using it as their first smartphone. Yeah. So if there's anything you learned from this podcast is that after three months after they first come on sale, every single smartphone follows Steve's price rule and comes down to the price he wanted to see it at the first place. <laughs> anyway, uh, very briefly, before we finish this podcast, there's a one more thing because there were something that wasn't a phone, but it was also important. There were two, at least two major hardware Windows 10 announcements, which do have an, an effect because they do follow the same sort of themes. And if you're all in on Windows 10 and Windows 10 Mobile, and these are definitely of interest to you. And I know you're a big Surface Pro 3 user, Rafe. So maybe in uh, five minutes or so, we can just talk about and you can summarize the, the two big um, hybrid and laptop, which itself turns out to be a hybrid announcements. Yeah, I mean, you're referring here, of course, to the Surface Pro 4 and the Surface Book, which was kind yeah. of a, a new laptop. It, it's interesting. These kind of felt like they were the main event. And actually, the Microsoft uh, the spokesman in charge of this has actually only relatively recently taken over the wider devices portfolio. Um, Surface has been his, his baby for a while now. And it kind of showed in the way he talked about it. It's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Um, the Surface Pro 4, it's got a much improved screen. There's a kind of a smaller bezel side. It's running a kind of more up-to-date chipset. So, for example, it's got the sixth-generation Intel Core. You can now get up to 16 gigabytes of RAM and one terabyte of storage. So, you know, there's a lot to like about that. There's a, an updated uh, keyboard as well, new touch cover with kind of better spacing. They've also introduced a bigger touchpad, which is something I've kind of uh, noticed and sort of not complained about, but it's kind of one of the things that's frustrated me. And actually, they've done a fingerprint sensor, so the older Surface 3 Pro can actually have this Windows Hello, because Windows Hello is actually built into the uh, Surface Pro 4. And so that kind of transformer device, which has been very successful for Microsoft, um, they talk about generating 3.2 billion in sales incredibly uh, impressive and it's certainly i think been a halo device for windows and sort of you know now for windows 10 and that's been important and we have seen a lot of companies follow suit you only need to look at something you know some of the windows manufacturers have actually produced I wouldn't say clone devices, but in that same transformer form factor. And Microsoft wasn't the first to do it, but I think it was the first to do it well. And it's very noticeable that we've now seen the iPad Pro come along. We've seen Google announce the Pixel C last week. And all of those devices very much, I think, owe a debt of gratitude to the Surface line of devices. Uh, and Microsoft has now kind of stepped this forward. And, you know, it's I would say, arguably put itself back on top of the heap of those transformer devices. Um, there's a new uh, hub that you actually alluded to earlier in the podcast, which is kind of smaller, but again, it ties together all these Windows devices, which I think is you know an interesting way of looking at it. Um, 
I mean, I don't really want to go into the hardware in any detail, but it is kind of this this halo effect in showing what's possible with a Windows 10 device. And I, I do think the Surface Pro 4 does that very well. I mean, uh, as kind of a first reaction from you, Steve, was it a kind of a device that made you go, yes, this is, you know, shows what Windows 10 can do? Uh, absolutely. As someone who's currently uh, rocking a seven-year-old, count them, seven-year-old wow. Windows laptop, which has been upgraded about five times, now running Windows 10 very, very happily, I might say, um, these devices seem almost like uh, stuff from the future. And in fact, it shows really how much of a lead Microsoft does have with Windows 10 here on the on the Surface range and also with the new laptop, in the sense that every time another manuf- manufacturer from a different ecosystem does something vaguely similar, they're automatically referred to as it's a Surface Pro copy. That, that people are automatically assuming that default position of Microsoft did it first. And it's not often in the last 10 years you could actually say that. So that very future-proof, you're way ahead of me on this because you, you're hot, you yourself are running only year-old hardware. But uh, if, if you're impressed, then I guess anybody should be impressed. Yeah, and I, I think this is actually a pretty significant upgrade. I mean, they talk about it being 30% faster than the Surface 3 Pro and I you know of course I suffered from upgrade envy to a certain extent and I did think hmm I can get the upgraded keyboard and I'll be able to get kind of that better keyboard and the fingerprint recognition and actually I'll be able to do that presumably for about £100 so it'll be something that would be interesting very noticeable that they've also kind of decreased the thickness it's down from 9.1 millimeters to 8.4 millimeters which is incredible because this is actually it's not really a tablet it's a PC kind of that also happens to be uh, a, a tablet. And I think this is the big thing that people don't always understand about Surface. This isn't really competing with the iPad or even some of the Android devices. This is much more competitive for the MacBook Air. And it was very noticeable that Microsoft directly referred to that and quite rightly said, actually, it's uh, you know 50% faster than the MacBook Air. And, you know, the, the Surface Pro 4 for me has become almost a, it's become my laptop. I mean, they talk about, the, the tagline was, you know, it's the tablet that can replace your laptop. And it really has done that for me. I don't want to get so too evangelical about it, but it's really been quite a revelation. Being able to kind of have a, a device that converts so effectively has been really great for me. Um, and, it, you know, it, it does make a perfect companion for a, a Windows 10 mobile device. The other one I do think is worth a mention is, you know, it was kind of almost Microsoft's one more thing. Um, and that was the Surface Book which is basically Surface Laptop. And everyone sort of looks at that and goes, that's kind of interesting that it's a a Surface Laptop. It had this kind of snake hinge on it. And actually one of the things they've always done with Surface is kind of come up with some quite interesting takes on how you do things. And for the Surface Pro 3 and before, it was actually about kind of a hinge that you could have at different angles. And actually it works very well indeed. But also the, the, the touch cover keyboards and various other things like that and the pen and different pressures and actually I should have said the pens kind of update and you can now get changeable tips and you get a rubber on the end and things like that. And it was a bit of a dig at Apple when they were talking <laughs> about that. But the, the Surface Book is um, ostensibly a much more laptop form factor, but also a very, very powerful device. I mean, we're talking top-end laptop specs. You know, it's got a standalone GPU in it and actually uh, Microsoft talked about it being uh, two times as fast or as powerful as the MacBook Pro. And for people who know about that device, that's already a very capable device. So, you know, really top-end computer um, with a pricing starting at $1,500, really reflecting that. And, you know, there was lots of talk about the, the kind of the keys and they really went to town. It was kind of a bit like talk, listening into Steve Jobs in a very product-centric uh, keynote. And I kind of said on Twitter, it felt a bit like it was Apple announcing a device. And yet Microsoft has been able to produce what's an all-metal laptop um, yet not have it feel like an Apple product. And I think that's pretty 
significant from an industrial design point of view um i'd be really interested to try one of these out certainly all the way all the things all the attention to detail the way it was being talked about was really quite compelling and one of the things i did like was you know we we're sort of all getting quite interested about this and then they kind of popped it off the back and actually it turns out it's also a tablet as well and so in effect um the surface 4 pro needs to be renamed because it's the surface 4 mid and then you really got this new uh, Surface Book, which is really the Surface 4 Pro because it's an even higher-end computer, yet still has that ability to kind of undock and become a tablet. And there's some intriguing stuff in there because actually the GPU is in the base of the device along with all the USB ports. And as a result, the screen, the tablet part of it, um, is even thinner um, than the Surface Pro 4. And presumably what's going on is it's switching over to integrated graphics when you do that kind of undocking process. Um, so really fascinating, and I'd be interested to learn more about this device. Um, you know, very, very capable, but it's going to be it's going to be expensive, and I think uh, it's kind of one of those devices that everyone sort of immediately will attract the most attention. I think it's probably the one that people will end up talking about from this event amongst kind of you know the general tech and maybe the wider population. Um, but once again, it, it's quite right. So I think Microsoft has um, rather uniquely, and it's not something you see very often, come up with a laptop design that really steps things forward and it kind of redefining what the laptop means i mean i think you can get a bit carried away with language like that but it certainly feels like it's something that's very different and you know already there's the evidence on kind of social media people going oh i'll think about getting this instead of a macbook pro it's pretty incredible for a microsoft product to have that kind of conversation going on and so it feels like microsoft is actually very very strong in that kind of a laptop and that convertible space more so i would argue than google or yeah. apple has been recently which kind of does you know offer a bit of counterweight to the struggle it's been having in the phone space but of course if it starts attracting kind of high-end geeks and professionals with that kind of really interesting hardware and windows 10 that a lot of people i think have found interesting and i think you include yourself in that steve um, yeah. that of course can only really have a positive effect on windows phone and that it might make people just consider it when Previously, they would have ignored it altogether. And so the, the full combination of those devices, you know, the Lumia and the Surface line, feels pretty strong. And, you know, you could do a lot worse than go out and buy the high-end Lumia device, buy the high-end Surface, either model, and have a very powerful and capable kind of computing solution that works very well together, that, you know, works well on the road, that you can then put up onto big screens, all that kind of thing, all with the universal apps. And you pair Office 365 with that, and maybe some of the Adobe uh, creative software as well. And, you know, powerful, compelling, you know, certainly uh, in with a shout for those kind of high-end geeks. And and that's kind of an interesting space, for I think, for Microsoft to get to as, as a result of this. And if that wasn't enough, they also uh, they also threw in a wearable. But, um, yeah, for me, the, the Surface and the Lumia devices passed that, I want to buy one, I want it now test. Uh, probably ask me in a few more weeks uh, once I've got away from the kind of the bubble of the event itself and around the <laughs> announcement whether I kind of that maintains but um yeah I, I i was impressed yeah yeah so basically my phone is a pc which is also a tablet um which is also part of a laptop i'm, I'm confused yeah anyway <laughs> it's a very a very interesting story they're telling and i don't think we've seen anything like it from any other any man manufacturer in any any other ecosystem and if we sound a bit all at sea it's because everyone's all at sea not quite knowing how all of these things will actually get used but they they're certainly exciting they've also certainly attracted a lot of buzz um, i think we'll leave it there for this podcast Rafe. i'd like to come back to the lumia 550 and talk about the budget end of windows phone and windows 10 mobile in the next podcast and i'd also like to come back to the band 2 which 
which they also announced today. But we didn't haven't got full details on that. So maybe those can be our two main topics for the next All About Windows Phone podcast. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a super plan. I'm sure we're going to digest this and listen to everyone else's feedback and opinion as well. Be able to share more of that on the next show. Um, and this is, I'm sure, going to dominate our conversations for, for the next few months. We'll obviously try and get our hands on review hardware as soon as possible. And also, of course, we'll be talking about, you know, continuing, I guess I should say, to talk about Windows 10 Mobile, which is going to be at its very best on these uh, Lumen 950 and 950 XL. But for now, I just kind of leave you with the thought that Windows Phone or Windows 10 Mobile now has a new flagship. And I think that will put a lot more energy back into the conversation. And certainly it's a a very intriguing place in which to be. And for Microsoft to come away generating that kind of buzz, I think is really quite significant. And so, you know, Microsoft devices in that sense seem to be in, in quite rude health in terms of generating the consumer interest, which after all is absolutely necessary. You have to be considered before you even get purchased. Absolutely. So it's a, we'll leave it there. It's a goodbye from me and also a goodbye from Mr. Blanford, I suspect.